Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Your host, Cody Kellum, on this episode, we talk through with Noah and Zach on woodsmanship and the transferability, whether you're hunting turkeys in the hardwoods in the east or chasing elk in the Rockies or Roosevelt's in the Pacific Northwest. A lot of those skills that we've learned from other species kind of all adapt. And uh, yeah, it was just a great time listening through kind of Zach's theories and what he's experienced and how he applies it uh, as well with Noah and myself. So with that, Uh, This episode is brought to you by Onyx Hunt. If you guys have not downloaded that app, you can do so now. You can get 20% off. Use promo code BRO. Um, Go to the Apple Store or the Google Play Store. So hope you guys enjoy this listen. We had This is actually one of my favorite podcasts we recorded in a long time, just kind of talking through strategies and uh, being in the woods and how to become a better hunter. Enjoy. All right. Hey, oh, give me a minute. I need to get in the elk mode. We're talking elk. We're rolling, baby. We talking elk. Podcast right, is on. I'm there. No, I'm there. It took me a minute. <laughs> we decided we we're going to talk about elk, and I thought, man, I got to get in the mode. Been in turkey mode. We're turkey hunting. It's bulls of the spring, so it's Kick. an easy transition. <laughs> see what I'm saying? Wait, I, I see. The thing is, is I don't see where he's wrong though. Here's the deal. They're very comparable. And I like I admitted to Cody, like I told Cody on the drive out here, man, if I had to pick one guy to elk hunt with who's never elk hunted in his life and he's only other done one practice of hunting, I'm gonna pick a guy who hunts mountain birds. Yeah. Like I would pick that over a whitetail hunter, over a mule deer hunter, whatever. I'd pick the guy who's just hunts mountain birds. Uh, yeah, I'm totally in agreement that's that's my point on it yeah but like there i'm not yet there are a ton of similarities of how you go about the process of turkey hunting Mm -hmm. that you do elk hunting Mm -hmm. trains different the um build up to a kill is definitely smaller just because there's more opportunities you get to kill multiple birds all that and yeah you're dealing with something that's 19 pounds versus Hey, dude, son, hey, down over in Iowa, they'll get up 28.30. Get a big one? <laughs> get you a good bird. 48-incher. <laughs> they'll get 52 sometimes. 52? Are you serious? Yeah, I've seen, the guy actually just sent me a picture of one that was like 51 or 52 or something like that. They'll and for long. all you listeners that don't know what the long bird is <laughs> instead of a long beard, fill them in, Zach. Well, have you guys ever heard the origin of the long bird story? No. No, but I want to. Okay, so I've got this buddy, John. He's my friend from college. Um, Not a big hunter. We got babies crying. (laughs) (laughs) First off, I just want to set the listeners in and give them a whole view of what is happening right now. We're in Ohio, Uh 
and I'm sitting on a couch on Noah's sleeping bag with his <laughs> yeah. stuff scattered Thanks. halfway across the I'm room. I'm packing. Look at that. Those but are folded. The best part about it, we're at... <laughs> We're at an apartment that none of us have any association with other than friends. Yeah. Yeah. My But aren't friends great? Yeah, they oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But Zach, you've been here for four days and Ben has not been here once yeah. yet. Yeah, and I actually thought he was gonna be back and he's not. Tried calling him, no answer, so Zach was in like a little editing pool for the better part of the last three decade days. <laughs> And he's sitting on this futon with his laptop, and we like he just uploaded the video, which is North Carolina episode eleven of the yep. Turkey Tour, twenty twenty two. So go watch that if you haven't. But he's we he uploads this video, then we all just kind of look around. And he has this like monkey off his back, and he just looks down, and he's just like swimming in subway wrappers, <laughs> 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 just sitting in his board shorts, just like, what is going on? How long have I been sitting here? <laughs> Same outfit, just a pair of shorts for three days straight now. But anyways, I feel like I'm sitting back in college. Yeah. Like, I didn't go to college. Uh, <laughs> this is the bachelor, this is the bachelor pad though. Yeah. Like we've been, we've been, uh, spending quite a bit of time here and i think it's in its i think it's in its final uh semester you know we're ben's thinking about moving out of here which is kind of disappointing but yeah we've been really taking advantage of this place bit so, of an end of an era for you yeah it, it, it is weird like you know how you go through like those different stages of hunting and you get these different camps in different areas and it, it is a little weird to be standing here looking out the window some days and thinking man this might be this could be the last time I'm here. I don't know because like yeah. I have got used to spending time here, but it's also nice too because as soon as I start worrying about that, I'm like it's gonna force me to go somewhere else. You know, hit a different state yeah. or hit a different area. But yeah, anyhow, it, it's quite the setting though. We have camera gear, laptops, boots, chacos, Crocs, water jugs, um, and and the funny thing is too. Because Ben's not here, you guys aren't ex- experiencing Camp Mom. Like, he loves this. He'll uh-huh. hit, like, when everybody's here, dude, he gets a crock pot. He'll have meals when everybody gets back. Like, he, you know, have groceries. Like, he's... Dang it. He really is Camp Mom, and it's funny that he's not here for all this because it is quite the experience. What I've loved the last two days is you're from Ohio, correct? Mm-hmm. So we're in Zach's home state on his home turf, getting to hunt ground. He's hunted before, and kind of like our first week of hunting easterns, we're getting to do it in kind of the area Zach learned how to hunt mm-hmm. turkeys. You mm-hmm. know, so that, I thought that was pretty pretty cool and special that he's been able to kind of share his his turf with us and a lot of a lot of stories. I was joking about it today with Cody. We we're walking through the woods and like. Every 50, 75 yards felt like, oh, yeah, and we shot a deer right here. And right here, if so-and-so was standing 20 yards to the left, they would have killed another buck right here. It was just like all day long. <laughs> like, how many deer have you guys killed? A yeah. few. That is that is one of the cool parts about, I was thinking about this is, I was filming you walking down the hill today. I'm just like, man. That guy's good looking. Yeah, well, that. <laughs> and... <laughs> yes Sorry. No, no, I was thinking just like how crazy it is that I have shared you know 
the location with so many friends and yeah. have so many memories in these places. And that I, I do really enjoy that. And it's cool uh, that you guys are here. And sometimes it seems surreal that we are sitting here in Ohio because, yeah. you know, prior till now, we'd only hunted what Colorado, Cody and I. Yeah. And then Oregon for Turkey, mm-hmm. the three of us last year. But, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm glad you guys are here, and I'm sure I'm sure it's not our last turkey trip together. No, I yeah, I'm so obsessed with this right now. I mean, <laughs> and it is like we were talking about this earlier. Like whatever season's going on, you're like fully yeah. all in on it. That's and, yeah, that's the argument that I have. Where it's like pe- people oftentimes they want to argue deer turkey or turkey or elk or bear turkey or whatever it may be, and it's yeah. like man. I just love hunting. At the end of the day, I love that pursuit and whatever I can be chasing, I'm going to enjoy, you know, and and honestly, I've never hunted like spring bear, which is popular for hunters in your guys' neck of the woods. But I know that if I started doing it, I would become obsessed with it. If you, if you bow hunted on with us and I mean, I think you would have a great time. Mm -hmm. And like, like you said, the seasonality of it all, like. April for me means turkey hunting. Like mm-hmm. it's just what it's meant for a long time. May means spring bear hunting. Like a lot of times we don't even touch the spring bear woods during April because they're just not out yet. But with that said, if there was twelve Septembers, I don't know if I'd do anything else. Yeah. Well, and I feel that I'm getting to be that way as well as we talked about a lot today. I just really get I, fired up. I do talk I, about it. I do get fired up about it, and I I always knew I would. And for the longest time, I probably told you guys this before, but growing up in Ohio, when you talk to somebody about elk hunting, it's definitely not a yearly thing. It's like this unattainable thing. Yeah, for like a lot it's of a once in a lifetime. Yeah. And it, I guess for a lot of people, that still will be the case because um, y- you do have to be dedicated for it to be a every year yeah. thing if. Yeah. You're not from, you know, a state where you can get a resident tag every year or whatever. Yeah, it's got to be high on the priority list. You definitely have to, you know, set yourself up to do it. But with that being said, to get tags, you can do that every year. You can get a tag to hunt elk every single year. And you can, like, I mean, there's so many different routes that you can do, like, just within a state, let alone all mm-hmm. the states where elk are present. So, if you're trying to maximize your opportunity, you can absolutely go and start hunting with a group of buddies, start spreading the tags out year to year, you know, save yourself money individually there, you know, split the trip costs, split the 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 um, p- packing, yeah. you know, when you actually the, get some down, stuff it, like that. I think the biggest challenge in... You know, took it for granted growing up having elk woods out your back door, essentially ten, ten miles from the house. Yeah, like, like literally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've there and multiple times I've been gone in September and bulls have been screaming in the BLM chunk behind my house. Uh-huh. I've never got to witness it, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other topic. I like driving past animals to hunt. Animals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think. You know, taking for granted the learning curve from the age of 12, it's the yeah. first time I archery elk hunted, till I was 18 till I killed one, so I had six years there. Then if you were lived in Ohio and think about six 
you know, trips to Colorado, right? That's mm-hmm. like the token mm-hmm. over the counter, the closest one. Um, that's a lot of time, a lot of money, mm-hmm. a lot of gas. That could and be honestly, probably a lot of failure. Exactly. Yeah. Like your wife's going to go, you're going out there elk hunting again. You've never killed one. You've you never know? even seen one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, but I do think like, this is where we talk about the correlation of like turkey hunting. If someone actually like makes that click and if there's successful turkey hunting the mountains, mm-hmm. it's, you just apply it at a bigger scale and throw wind in the factor and you could probably you know reading sign and understanding the habitat and like take deer and turkey if you're a whitetail hunter in anywhere you know in the appalachian mountains or Mm -hmm. um, foothills of that or or i mean there's all kinds of you know hilly terrain across the country i mean even the driftless area of uh, wisconsin and minnesota and stuff like all those hills are similar to the mountains on a small scale so it's like if you mash up turkey and deer and how you read the sign and how you hunt those animals you just blow that way up and and kind of look at it from the same i guess the same just 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 the same strategy as far as how they're using the yeah. landscape but just way way bigger scale yeah. and don't be intimidated by that scale either yeah. because it is going to be a different level like that's 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 a big hurdle i think if especially if you're doing it alone like if all of a sudden you're like wait that that big saddle that looks really good is six miles from the truck like that's a lot different than you know the two miles in the hardwoods that you're dealing with yeah. and in indiana or ohio or whatever i was thinking about this today i would encourage someone that has an aspiration to go elk hunting out west take a week and go spring turkey hunting in those mountains Mm -hmm. You, you may not be in the same exact country as some of the elk but you may be and at least get your like you know if you you have a goal of 2024 i want to go elk hunting well spring of 23 Go out there. If you had a unit picked out, you know, a lot of those units that have elk have turkeys. Yeah. Yeah. You could go explore and at least kind of wet your whistle on it. So yeah. when you roll in there in September and you see it for the first time, you're just like, I'm supposed to go hunt that? Yeah. And you know, I don't know. I was just, I was thinking about that. It'd be a good stepping stone. It's like, a perspective on the scale of yeah. everything. Just learning the roads, the trails, and then something we talk a lot. Elk's behavior in the spring versus September's vastly different but just Mm -hmm. learning the area and if in the spring you're finding cows and you're finding rubs from the past year that's probably somewhere i'd check out in september you know and it was cool we had the pleasure of hunting with patrick this year who's a turkey biologist down in georgia i believe Mm -hmm. right at the university of georgia yep um awesome dude great guy and just insane wealth of knowledge on like all things turkeys Uh and something that stuck out to me like you said of just the similarities between the two he was kind of giving me and strand a lesson on turkey behavior um throughout the nesting cycle and 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 what they're doing at different times throughout the spring and something that stuck out to me a strand was like man some of the like a lot of those things are so similar to elk it's crazy you know, and Patrick said, you'd be amazed at how many things in ecology are 
vastly similar, right? So aside from turkey and elk, animal behavior, mm-hmm. when you boil it down to their basic needs and breeding cycles are, are so, so, so similar, mm-hmm. you know, and don't overcomplicate it just because you've never seen an elk, never been anywhere where there are right. elk. If you're if you're a good hunter and, and you're paying attention to the woods everywhere you go, I, I think you'd be pretty pleased with your experience. Yeah. I agree with that. And I, the, I, I'm trying to think of the best way, really, to explain when I say blowing up the scale. I think it's so easy to say that. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you're hunting, like, the Rocky Mountains versus, you know, some, like, little dinky hills of, you know, eastern Kentucky or something. It's like, in comparison, yeah, they're obviously s- super different, but, you know, a finger ridge that has a flat spot at the end of it where the nose is is still the place where the elk are going to bed it's still the place the whitetail is going to bed yeah like where strand found that shed Mm -hmm. a couple mornings ago out on the nose of that finger above a main creek there's a main ridge you know behind it connected to it that finger's coming off that main ridge and right where that flattens out and drops off the deer bed right on the end of that where they can look down blow that way up onto a big main, you know, main ridge of a mountain where there's a big finger and comes up with exactly where Jake just killed a bull in September mm-hmm. in Colorado. It's like same exact terrain feature, but it's just like way bigger. So <clears throat> like when you're looking at that on the map, just understanding that like it is going to take some more work, but that's you know, that's the expectation i think you just have to have going into it but it's also like at the same time it's not always like that like the mountains we were hunting in west virginia were abrupt they were Mm -hmm. legit honestly i didn't i underestimated them and we've killed elk i know i have personally and cody probably has too and most of the group probably has in terrain that's even more favorable than that, you know, or a lot mm-hmm. less harsh than where we were turkey hunting. Definitely. So it doesn't there, mean there are elk, like I know some places in Oregon, like the hills here in Ohio, that has elk covered yeah. all over it. I Similar mean, terrain, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm, so it doesn't mean insane three thousand foot vertical changes in ridge systems. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, sometimes depending you, on where you are, for yeah. sure. Yeah. What What was the like? I want to go elk hunting. I'm going to do this. What What was that like click or shift where it became a priority for you? I think I just started realizing that you can do it. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not the type of person to just like, yeah, I want to go hunt this every couple of years. Like even with pronghorn, for example, like when I did it, it was just like, okay, I'm hunting pronghorn or I'm filming somebody's spot and stock archery pronghorn every year like that. And if I miss a year, it, it'll it be kind of a big deal for me, I think. I want to do that for forever. It's just something that I want to get better at. So with elk, when I realized that I could, down the road, like consider myself an elk hunter, not just a whitetail hunter that goes elk hunting. I want to be an elk hunter. And when I realized that I could be an elk hunter, that's what was like I got to start doing this now because I don't want to get to a point where you know I'm I'm in my 40s and I'm just getting into it you know yeah. I wanted to start in my 20s when I felt like I could start getting a lot of good experience that way 
by the time I was in my forties, I could consider myself an elk hunter. And honestly, in, in just three years of doing it, I consider myself an elk hunter. I feel, I yeah. feel confident saying that. And I feel confident in what I've learned and, um, and and I can say that I was there for the first time. You got a bold response. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. I was actually thinking about that on the drive out today uh, when I was going to go roost, and I was just like was so pumped up. I just remember running up the hill and giving you a big hug. <laughs> we screwed it up faster than it started, but we, yeah. you got a bold scream back uh-huh. at you. Yeah, and I, I mean, just that whole experience being able to go with you guys and just be able to look at an amount of sign and say, this is worth looking at or not worth looking at. Because I think, you know, when you, whitetail, for example, I take a lot of that type of stuff for granted, that sign, what that means, you know, is this enough to pay attention to, or is this something I'm blowing past? Is this a rub line that's random? Is this a, uh, you know, is this a doe trail? Is this buck trail? Is this buck bed, doe bed, whatever. All those things, I feel like I kind of have taken for granted because it's just like, you know, 20 some years of doing it. Second nature to, you know. Right. And with elk, on the other hand, it's like, oh man, there's a rub. That's pretty cool. Like, am I supposed to be seeing way more than this or way less? You know, there's, oh, there's some scat. Is that enough or should we be looking for areas with more? You know, do we want more trails, less trails, whatever. Those were the questions that I didn't have. And then, um, specifically about the style that I've done the most of in elk hunting is like bivy camping, backpack hunting. The thing that will always be the number one thing that I learned in that first year and ultimately was like what made me so confident to stomp in to where we ended up killing one. Like when I went back with Ben and Colin. Yep is you were showing me places as we were hunting, places that we were going to try to get to, to camp at, to be able to hear a lot. And I immediately started linking that to, and that, and, and it even solidified my turkey strategy even, where it's like, I got to quit worrying about so much of like the small details in between. Let's get to a point where we can hear a ton We can hear the entire world. How can we look at the map and maximize, okay, we can hear down this drainage, we can hear down this drainage, maybe we can hear down across this mountain, maybe we can hear, you know, both sides of this saddle. But every night, that was something that was a priority, and we would kind of, at times, even go out of our way to find those locations. So, I was, as as you were teaching me that, I'm, like, going back and I'm thinking... You know, that's what I'm doing in in the turkey woods. And I actually had the best season that I'd ever had up to the point of turkey the next year because I I used what I had learned elk hunting to like, um, it's it's something I already did and, and knew, I suppose, but I took way more advantage of it even yet. It was like, it's kind of like I was talking about just a minute ago, we were talking about roosting. I'm not always worried about roosting a turkey because I trust if I can get to that place I can hear the most, I'm going to be on a gobbling turkey tomorrow morning. Same thing with elk hunting. It's like if I can get to a position where I can just hear the entire world, even if I was day hunting, that's where I'm going to start. 
I'm going to get up to a point where I can hear a lot and just listen and just kind of let things play out and then make my moves in. And I think that, you know, that's like a huge similarity in strategy. You can't hunt a gobbling turkey turkey or bugling bull if you don't hear them because you've got yourself buried down in a creek bottom somewhere. Right. You know, and that's something that I guess I, I really, really, really hammer home to my buddies when I'm hunting with them now. It's like, this is the number one priority to me. I want to hear turkeys, elk. Yeah. Like, and sometimes you got to give up some hunting yep. near the end of the day to just be like, all right, let's put the boots on and climb. Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah. The, the, the day or well, I guess, I don't know. It was like two or three days. I went back in between hunting with you, Ted, Wes and Zach and Ben, Colin, we're going to go with me for um, another week or so. Actually, that first year I elk hunted, I hunted like 18 days or something. Like, it was awesome, you know. So, I got a ton of experience in one season. Honestly, probably more than most people get in two seasons. So, I was really lucky um, and obviously really lucky to have to have gone hunted with the born and raised guys, right? Like, that's a, that's luxury. But... I remember going back to the map and just being like, like, I'm going to find the spot. And like, we're going to walk right to that spot. Like as soon as Ben's here, we're going to drive up, we're going to hit the public land. We're going to hike straight to that spot. And that's where, you know, I, I didn't know where it was yet, but like I started just looking at the map and had picked that spot on the map, you know, like two days before we even went back there, we got there, hiked straight in there, got there at last light next morning heard a bull like didn't even have to do anything and since then the best days that i've had elk hunting have been exactly that it's like pick the spot well in advance even as early as in the morning it's like okay we're gonna make this route towards this location and ultimately end up here even if like you said it's gonna cut out a little bit of time to get to that spot same thing in the morning a lot of times for turkey it's like i'm gonna walk straight up to that high point because i know from right there i can hear any turkey that's going to be within a mile of me and then you never walk away from a bugling bull yep or a gobbling turkey yeah which we did the other day <laughs> <laughs> oh that was that was probably pretty foolish of us wasn't it yeah it's just one of those things looking back on it because learn from it if we would have walked 80 yards into the next little pocket and had one just hammered 150 yards down the draw we would have been like so we wouldn't have ever even thought about that scenario right yeah, yeah. right but but like we had talked about maybe that was a situation where we shouldn't have okay to to paint the picture a little bit so we're not just talking about our own memory and not telling the listeners like we had walked up on this high point where we were able to hear quite a lot and we were pretty close to you know some plan b's We'd heard the turkey pretty far away, but he was definitely on public land. You know, he was gobbling, and instead we were like, oh, let's go hit these other areas that we can hear that are a little bit closer. We probably should have just hit those next areas, and when we didn't hear anything, we probably should have just been like, okay, now it's time to go over there. Mm -hmm. Let's commit. Because when we did hit that next high point or two, you know, maybe 400 yards total away from where we were hearing the bird, we probably could hear 
you know, enough to say, all right, it's probably worth going back the other way. But you learn from it. And I th- I do think, so I'm curious. Here's a question for you. Because it's one of those things, like, is it worth chasing a bull way, way down, way down into the into the hole, especially if you've got time? Like, I'll paint a picture for you. It's day two. And you're in an area, and up to this point, like, you're not seeing hunters, you're feeling confident, you're in bulls, and it's like you got an hour left, and you're going to camp tonight, and there's bulls way, way down below you. Is there ever a situation where you're like, let's just hang loose here, listen to them, and then we'll go after them tomorrow when we know, like, they're using this area, or are you... How much daylight left? An hour. How far are they? Let's say they're... Let's say they're six-tenths of a mile. <laughs> the, yeah, you run. Go for them? Yeah. That's, yep. Every, but 100% of the time. I would say. Okay. Yep. Is, there's never a situation. But that's our strategy and our playbook. Our approach. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty aggressive in that sense. And <clears throat> it, there's been a couple that we've killed that I would have said at the start of that, uh, this is going to be impossible. Like uh-huh. we don't have enough time. Our very first bull that we ever killed on film in 2007 was one of those cases. Like we had, it was probably that far or further. Uh-huh. And we had about 30 minutes of light left and we had a wall of salmon berries. Like I just remember like pushing backwards to try to get through them and just break <laughs> them. And I'm like, what are we doing guys? Like Trent's like, we got this. Let's just go kill him. And we broke out there, and he was right below us, and we shot him. I shot him, and it was, you know, and, I, like, it was one of those, like, all right, we can't turn around, like, not try. Because tomorrow morning, he may not be bugling. Right, yeah. Because you, you never know what happens during the night. Yeah. And you never know what happened to him yesterday. Mm-hmm. So it might be the day that that bull's willing to die. Like, that, you know. yeah. That makes me think of two things. There's one thing that I know I always think about, and, and we always say it, and there's one day every year that every single bull wants to die. Mm-hmm. Any of them. I don't care which bull on the mountain it is. And then the second thing is, like, it's like the old the old saying of, you know, if it's the last night on your hunt, are you going to let that bull sit down there? Mm-hmm. No. Right. And you can't kill a bull today if you're waiting for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I and I... The reason I ask that is not because I think I necessarily feel any different. I, I just ask, yeah, I guess out of curiosity, because from a hunting standpoint, I'm like a whitetail hunting standpoint, the, the most ridiculous thing ever that I see people doing in whitetail hunting is they're like looking at a big buck and they're just like, oh man, I hope he could, would come closer to my tree stand. It's like, dude, you know he's right there. Like, he, <laughs> like his body exists right there where you can hunt. Why are you not pursuing him? A lot of it is a lack of confidence because whitetail hunters generally don't hunt mobile. They, they you know, yeah. mobile on the ground. Yeah, mobile whitetail hunting is is uh, hunting a different tree every day. Yeah, but I, you know, to me, it's just like if he's over there, like get over there like you know you can 
you can do the same thing you can do with bull elk and, and tom turkey with the whitetail buck yeah. i mean you get in his grill and you start raking trees and grunting like sun's coming up you know <laughs> <laughs> i can think of two scenarios this year where we went against our playbook and it didn't end up in our favor and what happened was we saw on two different accounts this year we saw elk before we were really hunting them and that was two giant bulls that were both over-the-counter bulls on different parts of the state where we hunted both those bulls in both scenarios for three days and we almost were so in awe and shock of how big they were for the area they were in that we almost played too safe and that was like our main takeaway from it is if man if we saw that bull and it was a raghorn would we have taken the exact same steps to try and kill him probably not that's you know and that was something that we reflected on a ton yeah there was on both scenarios the first one was roosevelt that we saw in an area that these guys have hunted for 20 years no 15 yeah, pushing 15. So, yeah. Yeah, right at 15. We were mid-calling scenario. We didn't know. You know, we saw him at 120 yards. And then the next three days, it's like, man, we were tiptoeing around this bull trying to get him killed. And then fast forward later on in the season, we were in the eastern part of our state in another over-the-counter unit. And we saw a bull that was, it was definitely the biggest bull I've ever seen in Oregon or maybe anywhere mm-hmm. and you know we stayed on him for three days just trying not to bump him out of the county you know and i don't know if it's hard to say like maybe we're more aggressive we kill him maybe we don't but it's one of those things to reflect on is like i know personally i did things more conservative out of i don't know if it's fear or whatever else but you have this this giant bull that'd be the biggest thing maybe any of us have ever killed, you know, and you're wanting to play it safe and not ruin it. And then at the end of the day, we didn't get him killed. I got, I got some, I got some thoughts on this, but it's whitetail. So two years ago, 2020, I had pinned this spot before we went to do the public land challenge, Pennsylvania public land. I'd pinned this spot. It was a select cut. So, Essentially a clear-cut understory, but standing oaks. Went back there to scout it with Greg the first day I was in there, and just insane. Like, buck sign everywhere. Rubs everywhere, scrapes everywhere, fresh, tracks. Feeling good. So, what ended up happening is, is I had deemed in my head, like, oh, big buck in here. Like, we're going to hunt this area down. And instead of, like, going to the X like I had in previous years, I kind of just, like, got into the safer areas and was kind of playing it safe. Like, let's just kind of hang back, see if we can get a visual of something coming through here. And instead of just going right into the pin, I had a pin the whole time that I had pinned 10 days before we got there or whatever. And I, and that was a spot that I was like, that's where the X is. That's where the buck, that's where buck's going to bet. It's right there. It was the, the nose of that ridge. It's right, exactly the same terrain feature that we've been talking about. You take a finger off of a ridge, one side of it's select cut. It flattens out on top. He's going to bet right on the transition of that, right? So tiptoed around. Next thing you know, five, six days have gone by. End up finally gonna tiptoe around again one night and somebody's set up in the spot that 
I was hoping to get to. It was sad Friday night. It was a PA Saturday because you can't hunt Sundays. It was a PA Saturday. It was Friday night. And uh, there was a bunch of people hunting. And I noticed on the way in there was a truck parked on, on the private land. And it was like a two-mile walk back there from the public access. So I'm just like, this not making me feel great. And sure enough, somebody is set up. And it was just like a real obvious, easy spot. You know, it was it was easy if you were coming from the private to get to just a big saddle on top of the ridge, which was, you know, still 200, 300 yards from the X. So I was just like, you know what? Let's just go straight down into this cut and get right up by that X. And sure enough, Ted and I are creeping through there and there's just all of a sudden there's big beds everywhere. Big bed, big bed, big bed. Long story short, end up getting right in the grill of that, buck bedding area ended up killing a buck at three yards that night on the logging road and it's just like okay day six kill a buck new state great but why did i wait that long to get in there and had i not ever had that guy not been in there i don't know that i ever would have and i reflected on that a lot just like you said i thought about that a ton it's like man i'm tiptoeing around tiptoeing around and it's something that I think I think even in 2021 I did too much. Where it's like, you get in your head, and, and this is the disease of big buck culture, is I love hunting big bucks or big bulls or whatever. But when you start letting the fear of failure get in your head, then you start making mistakes because you're not just playing it the way that you should be. Yeah, you're keeping you, yourself out of the game a yeah, little bit. You're like going against the grain. You're going against your... your, your you're not following your playbook. You're not listening to your gut. You're just kind of like, ah, I better kind of hang back here. It's like, now, another thing that I do is I worry that there's not another one, right? Okay, so big bull. You see this big bull. You're like, I've never seen one that big before in my life. And it's like, yeah, but there's another big bull that you would love to shoot, right? And we all get that. Like, you see the big bug, you see the big bull. And you don't get him, and you're just like, ah, damn, man, like, I didn't get him, and like, I'm never going to get another chance. And then if you stay persistent, though, you do get another chance. Right. And you're happy <clears throat> as heck about it because you, you got another opportunity. And we found a couple big sheds the other day, big old sheds. And that's confirmation to me that it's like there are more fish in the sea. There's more big bucks in here than I even think there are, really. Right. So that was a huge confidence boost for me, just simply from an aggressive standpoint, right? It's like, I can be aggressive. Because even if I blow this one, there's this one. Don't care. Don't worry so much about that big buck or that big bull, because yeah. there is another one. Even if it's the biggest one you've ever seen, even if the next one's not quite as big, you're probably still going to be pretty proud Pretty of stoked. It. Yeah. Cody, tell the story of your... Colorado bull or Trent didn't have his bow. Oh, just on the topics of two giants in one area. Yeah, no, I, yeah, that's a really good correlation. Um, first, first year we've ever hunted Colorado, roll in there, bunch of trucks, trailhead. We're like, man, this is going to be tough. First night in there, calling a bull, one of the biggest bulls we've seen. It was, I don't know, I, just for a range of reference, probably like a 330 bull. Comes in, almost get him killed, blows out. We climb up on this knob. 
Next morning, wake up, screaming bulls everywhere. And it's like, all right. Within the first half hour, we were on another six point. We finally, like, Trent and I took off chasing bugles. Steve and Ty took off chasing bugles. We drop down. This bull comes in. Shoot it. It's giant. Like, at that point, biggest bull I'd ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Got him killed. Um, while we're taking care of that bull, we hear a stick pop. We kind of stop. This bull bugles. It's like, huh. Trent's standing over the pack because we're like loading meat halfway done with this elk. And out steps a bull every bit as big as the bull I just shot. It was 360 plus. <laughs> 20 yards. Seven minutes. I filmed him for seven minutes. It's just disgusting. And our rule in Born and Raised was if you're running camera, you don't have a call. You don't have binoculars, and you definitely don't have your bow. And Trent had his bow that morning. Ty flicked him some crap and said, What, you you guys going to shoot two? No, leave your bow here. Trent's like, all right, unclicks it off his pack. And we would have had two, like, talk about a viral video. (laughs) You went viral with that one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You did go viral with it without even killing the second one. (laughs) um, Yeah, it was just one of those things, like, you never know what's around the corner. Mm-hmm. And if there's habitat that raises one, it's probably habitat that raises two or more. Yeah, or so. 17 of them for all we know. You know, it's it's like, it's just crazy how, yeah, you get in your head, though, that you see this one. And playing it safe is not, it's just definitely not the option, though, to me. Because because what ends up happening, then, is you spend too much time on on something that otherwise, you know, you'd just blow blow through and it's okay so a good example is we can relate it back to our current situation Mm -hmm. it's just like we hunted an area today it's like we probably messed you know we we definitely were we definitely were putting hunting pressure on turkeys in there it's like let's just hit something else yeah we got all these different places that like we got confidence in it's just like let's hit something else go somewhere fresh hunt it aggressively and like honestly chances are it'll probably work out for us and and i think that to me that's one thing that I always got to remind myself, and I do, I honestly do a better job when I'm the cameraman. Just Me too. pushing, just like pushing. Yeah. Like, hey, let's just get right in there. I, like, why I wouldn't we get right we in all, there? I, I, we could all attest to that. That it's like, as the hunter, you're like running those doubts, second guessing yourself. Yep. Then you have someone over your shoulder, like, no, let's do that. Okay. Yeah. I think, like, we all, especially, like, within born race group it's it's just speaking for myself from a cameraman a lot of times it's not like oh it's so clear but it's my judgment's a lot less clouded seeing from that and not being the shooter towards Mm -hmm. like we all whoever's filming versus whoever's the shooter all of us do it like turn to the cameraman whoever's (laughs) filming and go what do you think about this call Mm -hmm. like you see me do it a lot today whereas not in the past right and it's because it's like as a shooter i don't not let I don't even want to say my judgment's clouded, but you, you second guess yourself more and to have someone you trust behind the camera or running the calls can be such a great tool and always to be able to put yourself in a position where your pride is never in the way um, to receive help from the people that you're hunting with. Mm-hmm. Cause at the end of the day you're hunting with them because you trust them, you know, they're good hunters and you trust their judgment. I think this is a good little side tangent talking about hunting partners, uh-huh. the value 
of having a team or multiple or just one, whatever it is, where you guys get so in tune with each other, what's going on, thoughts, have similar ideas or um, putting patterns together and applying that, that it's huge advantage going into the woods with someone that's got your back and there's like you trust thick and thin yeah we killed a bull 15 miles from the trail (laughs) or actually seven what was it It was 15 15 um that is willing to do that and i will say from experience the mountain's either gonna break that or build it yeah and um I've heard a lot of horror stories of guys that like going on their first elk hunt out of state and they're there three days and like, I got to go home or this sucks. I don't want to be here. Yeah. There was one guy I met in 2018 in Colorado, um, Travis Dushik from, I think he's from Wisconsin. Those Wisconsin guys, man, they are everywhere. Yeah. Wisconsin and Minnesota, they're everywhere. Yeah. I'm surprised we're not seeing them here. I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but his his buddy bailed on him at the last minute. So he had this whole trip planned and backpacked solo into the wilderness. Wow. Like, yeah, it was crazy. The reason I like to ask is if I'm with you guys and I start making this decision that you guys think is bogus, you're going to start just being like, well, this is never going to work. And if your confidence is down, my confidence is down. If I can feel that you're back there hanging your head, kicking sticks, yeah. I'm just like, well, okay, like what can we do differently that's going to make you motivated to like make this move? What is it that you would want to do? And how can we like, you know, make yeah. this work? And, I, and, I, and honestly, that doesn't happen very often. But if it does, it's like I like to I like to like address it right out of the gate. It's like what what's up? Like, yeah. are you not having fun? Are you not? Uh, do you not have confidence? Do you yeah. want to do something different? And like, there's definitely times where I can read that in my hunting partners, and I have a lot of them. Honestly, and I feel lucky to, to be that way. Yeah. But it's like if I can tell somebody's just like not level ten pumped, I'm just like, hey, what's up? Like, what do yeah. you want to do? You know? Yeah, and it goes back to the pride and trust thing. Yeah. If you're with your hunting partner and at the end of the day it's because you trust them and you enjoy hunting with them, if they have something in their gut that they want to do which isn't your first thought, rather than thinking about, man, I would go about this differently, go, all right, let's do it, and then go all in on that idea. Mm-hmm. Because that's something at the end of the day that you're going to want them to reciprocate. Mm-hmm. When you just have that feeling and you know, or even if you don't, but there's something you want to try and you think it could benefit to the outcome, you're going to want that support from your hunting partner, even if that's not exactly what's going on in their head. And it happens all, it happened today. And I told you, like we we're at this crossroads where we're either going to go back up the ridge. We came and try to get back on the bird. We we're on this morning, which is what I was thinking in my, in my head. Once we were kind of sitting there, not talking, just listening. Um, and then we kind of reconvene and you say, well, what if we drop across this draw and go up into the other side of this bowl? And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, I think we'd be able to hear that from here. And there's a bird we know that there's over here. But then it takes that. You just have to take that half second to go. He's confident in this. Let's do it. And then you go all in on that. Mm -hmm. And it's not dragging your feet up the whole hill the whole time. And if it doesn't work out. You're not getting back to the pickup and saying, I told you so. Right. right. You know, because <laughs> yeah. it very well could have. Yeah. You know. Yep. Well, and, and, and what we did in that situation, too, is you threw, you did say, hey, 
Like you didn't just say, "Hey, like, yeah, we'll go with it." No, you yeah. didn't. You, you definitely yeah. like pitched your idea too, and then we and then we discuss and say, yeah. "Okay, like yes and yes and yes and but but you know we'll circle yeah. back and and then you kind of like yeah. bring it all full circle." And I think to me that's that's when you really yeah. are, are in it with with right. your hunting yeah, partners yeah. when you, when you can like break down the reasons and be like okay i understand your perspective what about this and they're like okay now i get your perspective what about this and you're like well we could do this and this and then it's like right okay yeah done and, 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 this, and if you're doing that keep hunting with that person yeah. <laughs> well and this relate like this communication style works for all relationships in life uh-huh. you yeah. know and if you're able to communicate with someone like that and bring both sides and perspectives in those are things that'll go a long ways in life, no Damn. matter the relationship. Damn, bro, that's deep. <laughs> <laughs> you almost had like a Theo Vaughn tone to you right there. <laughs> it kind of looks like a, I don't even know, northern Theo Vaughn. <laughs> hey, I just want to like dive into your personality, your multiple personalities, voices. Do you, have you brought that to the podcast at all? Uh, I mean, it, it definitely peeks through every once in a while and the the it's so weird it sounds like i have like a multiple personalities disorder but (laughs) that's what's going on in my brain i like i just always find it really interesting and i feel real fortunate to meet so many different people from across the country like you know part of the season will be down south and you know that's different than what I grew up in is different than what I live in, but then different times of the year I'll be up in Wisconsin. Yet again, totally different from what I grew up in, live in. Pennsylvania is different. You know, Maine is different. You go out in Colorado or Oregon, and I mean, those places are going to be different. So I just really enjoy, you know, the different, uh, the different ways folks talk across the country intrigues the hell out of me. And I've always just tried to kind of mimic it a little bit. Yeah. And it's not, I, I guess, I guess it's like some people could probably take it like, Oh, you're making fun mocking. Of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's not, I, I found myself jumping in with Josh, yep. you know, and the same, y'all be safe. Josh Elderton. Yes. Is who he's talking about. The untamed. And yeah, that's, that's like it so my girlfriend told me once and i don't know if this is just some bs that she's saying or if it's actually true but it's like (laughs) a a quote of hers is like and i could be saying this wrong but like mockery is a form of like flattery yeah yeah, right because it's like if i'm acting like you then i think you're cool and like honestly that's true like when i listen to like mike pentecost is a guy that we just crack up at the way that dude is that's that's mike pentecost is we call we call him mike haven sometimes because he's mike mike pentecost woodhaven yeah (laughs) (laughs) mike haven but uh his antics and everything are just awesome the dude's so entertaining he's so fun to be around so like trying to act like that a little bit and just like really taking note of the way he talks, the way he holds himself. I I just really enjoy 
like kind of studying that across the board across the country so then i'll start doing it you know i'll start talking in a totally different voice i mean i have so many characters if you were to go through my snapchat right now and like just see what i just film myself talking like just sending to my buddies you know like it's absurd it's like you know i got the smoker i got the you know the southern i got the northern i got the Appalachian. Yeah, I get the the guy that says uh too much, you know. It's like <laughs> You making fun of me? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I have. and um and uh but like uh, what uh, it boils down to is having fun in the woods. And that's yeah. something we turn back to all the time is like, man, if you're not having fun doing it and and I think people get having fun confused with not taking something seriously. Mm-hmm. And you can take the hunt seriously and be in the game all the time, but have fun while you're doing it. Because why else are you out there? Man, I, I like goof off. Like It'll be like dead serious. Yeah. And I'll just still just be like, hey, like, uh, here's a goof. Like, uh. goofing. You know, like, and then I'll snap right back into it. But like, it, it is really interesting um, how. Because honestly, you can tell watching our videos that I goof off a lot, right? Like, it doesn't take long to tell that, like, I goof off a lot. But at the same time, like, I'll snap right into it. Like, and I can be in and out of it in an instant. Then I think that that is a fun, that, that's, that's something I like about myself is I can snap in and out of, like, goofiness really quickly and, like, it is also really crazy how intense I can get. And I, I don't necessarily think that's something that you probably can tell from the videos is like how truly like intense and like almost like, like, uh, angry intense it can become. And like, it, it definitely in the right situation where like you put a buck bedded or I can see it. And, like, I'm going to put my body through hell, and I'm going to be, like, halfway mad about it, you know, to get to him without spooking him. I'll do anything. And it's just, like, that grinding your teeth. Like, I love that. That's, like, my prime. That And that's honestly why I like stalking stuff is because I think it's, like, one of the things that I can tap into well is just that ultra-focused doing whatever it takes to get there. But then, like, on the other hand, it's just, like, we'll be walking through the woods, and I'm just, like, goofing off, like, breaking sticks and throwing, you know, rocks or whatever, you know, just whatever. It's, like, it's so, like, night and day difference, but I enjoy that. So, back on the elk hunting topic, Mm -hmm. how – so, you talk about applying the scale from these hills to the elk woods. For someone, like, run through your Onyx program of, like, how you look at things. Because I know you've got, you said you were talking about Colorado, and you're like, oh, i got pins everywhere. Like, how many hours you've spent looking at maps to just be like, there's got to be elk here. Mm-hmm. What's what's your approach? Uh, you know, kind of with anything, I would say deer, turkey, and elk, pronghorn for that matter but we'll focus on deer turkey and elk for for the moment it's like water is so important and i know that's like super cliche but like if i'm looking at mountains of colorado looking for elk the one thing that i don't want to start getting too hung up on is just like north okay so let me take a a step back it'll be like you always hear north facing dark timber yes 
But if there's no water around there, and it's just dryer and a bone, like, it doesn't really matter. Or I flat spots, or, yeah. Yeah, it's like, north-facing slopes are great, and that is, generally speaking, where they want to be. But I had to learn the hard way by going into areas that I didn't consider water enough. I, one, one uh, the second year I hunted, we hiked into this area and just busted our ass to get back in there, and we're going, 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 going. And all of a sudden, it's just like, there's just no water here. It's just, like, super dry. So then we, like, went to the next area with water as a focus, and we were on elk faster. So, you know, then take that into the future and really focus on looking for water. So number one thing, water. Number two thing is, you know, kind of your classic, where is the access? And I feel like I've created this lens for my eyes that I can just be so fat. I don't have to do it all the time. I mean, I do it for the same lens that I'm looking through for trying to find a turkey or a whitetail is the same exact thing I'm doing to find an elk. I'm just looking at it all big picture and I'm just like, you know, road, 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 trail, four wheeler, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, just like, where are these big chunks that, you know, are, um, kind of, kind of obvious where there's no access. Now that can be problematic too, because everybody else can see those things too. Right. It's like, if there's a big, big chunk that's smack in the national forest. Okay. Great example. You're turkey hunting. If you're turkey hunting in a big piece of public land and there's like the main, there's in, in almost every like big, big chunk of public land, generally it's like a national forest and there's like a big chunk in the middle that's got like very few roads in it. It's like everybody else sees that too. You know what I mean? Case in point, we came here uh-huh. the first night out. I was like looking on the map. I'm like, Let's go up here. There's some spur roads, but there's no other of all this main crossing roads. Uh-huh. And that's where we saw, I saw a camp with three trucks. I saw three other cars out trying to roost. That's the only place I've seen pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like to a T. That was, they saw the same thing. And then the case in point where you guys hunted today, it's this micro small little pocket that yep. everyone drives by not a lot of access to it yeah there's no parking spot there's no yep. block gated road into it it's right. like oh just park here on the highway and hoof it up the hill yeah and, and you're you were in birds so mm-hmm. um and same thing and same thing with elk too so one thing that i've definitely started looking at a lot more is like even if there's a road there, it's like if it's super, super steep, super gnarly, or there's a big river you got to cross right off the road, something that is uncomfortable or is going to take like some thought to get through. Because you definitely learn this in Turkey. You said it best when you said the term gated road, baby. I'll hunt gated roads for like the first two days of season. But then past that, it's just like, so has everybody else. Yeah. So it's like those easy turkeys right off those gated roads start to kind of disappear. How many people have stood on each little knob that you go out and stand exactly. off that's 10 yards off the go, gated go, ridge go, road? Go, and go. Or, you know, like they're, they're bugling from the same spots. They're calling turkeys from the same spots. You know, they're setting up a tree stand in the same spots. Whatever it may be, it's like we're super habitual as hunters. And... It's really easy to say this, and I, I mean, I really hate to say it because if you're listening for, like, for the answer, 
you've heard this before, but it's like, you've got to think outside of the box. And I can't exactly explain what that's going to look like every time, because sometimes it is a river. Sometimes it is a steep face. Sometimes it is, um, you know, going in on a trail and then cutting back or something. But whatever it is, creative access isn't always just jumping in a kayak. Like, like man, for so long it felt like creative access was like, yeah, just boat in. Well, now everybody boats in. Boating in or kayaking in at this point is not creative anymore because those dang boys to hunt public showed every- well you were talking about colorado over the counter earlier until <laughs> them born and raised boys showed up it was, it was a hell of a lot better that's no fair. doubt <laughs> but but point being is is like you gotta think in my in my opinion you gotta think what's everybody doing so no matter what you're hunting I just really, really believe that if you're thinking about the trend, like if you're struggling, if you're struggling due to pressure, what's the trend? What's everybody else doing? How do I do something different? We talked about um, when we were whitetail hunting a couple years ago, and we started to notice that nobody was bow hunting in the open areas because everybody was hunting in the timber where they could put up a tree stand. Nobody was hunting all the brushy habitat. Because he couldn't put a tree stand up there. Boom. That's the thing. That's your creative access. That's not putting a kayak in. That's hunting somewhere where nobody else is because you're taking the trend and you're just doing something else. Met another guy in that same area that was doing it. Uh, Luke, Two guys, Luke and Brent. Killers, man. They were stalking bucks, doing the same thing that we were doing and have been doing it for longer than we had been. Like, they were kind of like, you know, we started talking about kind of what we were doing, and the guy Brent was kind of like, wait, you know, like, started being like, that's what I do, you know, and it was, it was a fun, it was a fun, um, fun, it was fun to talk with those guys, and since then, we've, we've hung out a couple times and got a chance to talk with them at length about deer and deer strategy, and I think that, you know, you look at individuals like that and you come across them so rarely it's just like it again just solidifies like we are habitual every hunter just does the same old thing and and i do too to a certain degree especially when things are unpressured but it's like as soon as that pressure becomes a factor what can you do differently no and i think that kind of plays into one point i want to talk about people have a plan and then they go in there and it's not what they expected, but yeah. they're like, well, this is what we're going to do for nine days. We're, you know, if we, if we go sit on this meadow by chance, there's going to be an elk that walks through here. And it's like, man, you gotta, you gotta move. Mm-hmm. I think that's, um, you know, I talk a lot about someone going on their first elk hunt, the fear of failure. I'm like, go learn. You're successful at that point. Um, make a change. Don't be like, well, I saw a cow back in 1972 here. See those Aspens? There's got to be a bull in there at some point this yeah. month. That's yeah. right. That's I mean, right. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things, like, don't be afraid to move mm-hmm. and try new stuff because, it, and I think we can all attest to this, I'd rather hunt new country than yeah. go to a place that I've hunted yeah. a ton before because yeah. 
then you have this expectation of what it should be when you go there. Well, last time we had a bull bugle here. We had a bull bugle here. You go up there and you don't hear anything. You're like, oh, man, this sucks. And you're like, the intensity level is already dialed back by three. You Mm -hmm. know, and then at day two, you experience the same thing. And then it's like, and I've, I've witnessed this when we've gone back to elk hunting and be like, the first time there was unbelievable. We go back, have expectations, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm. now we did roll back into the same country and got on some bulls when you and I went. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, Trent and Trevor went back there the next year. No. no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? So, um, yeah, I think, I think the uh, ability to adjust on the fly, be like, well, plan A through Z's gone we're starting to do a1 now yeah. so yeah. and, and be hear, comfortable with that and you hear all the time those old timers oh the elk hunting is just getting worse and worse every year and oh, you go with everything i've been hunting this spot since i was 12 years old you know and i'm thinking well have you tried moving yeah, yeah. have oh, you tried yeah. somewhere else and as far as like differentiating goes sometimes i'm a big proponent of the front country like that's mm-hmm. one of our plan where you know like this there's this back country craze and everyone can look on onyx and turn the trail layer on and see all these dotted trailheads and how hard they are to climb and it's like man look at all these pockets right next to the road and sometimes we'll drive around for three quarters of a day or a whole day just checking spots off the map trying to find pockets that aren't even that hard to get to but are just getting blown past the one we hunted today for turkeys Mm -hmm. it's not that hard to get to but it's just a little chunk and a bunch of people are blowing past it and it's like cody's and steve's bulls this year we found those just like it was in a unit none of us had spent that much time in and we just covered ground and covered ground and covered ground until we were finding pockets of elk and then started hunting those pockets of elk Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things to do period is drive yeah get to a new spot get ready to drive baby he's like if you got the time and and honestly even if you don't think you have the time you probably should have the time because you never know when you're gonna look over and some obvious sign is there yeah i mean maybe it's like literal sign maybe it's a literal animal you know yeah i mean people people say like all the time man you don't see turkeys driving down the road I can tell you right now in the smack middle of the hardwood timber in Alabama, I've seen Tom strutting right off the road that we've killed before because they're strutting right off the road. I'm not saying that you should spend all day road hunting, but when you're on the road, pay attention. No, I mean, I I correlate this like we Roosevelt hunting. It's like it's not road hunting. It's rub hunting a Mm -hmm. lot of times. Like all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you find a bunch of fresh rubs. It's like there's a bull around here. Let's go hunt him. Um, turkeys in Oregon for me, it's, you see strut marks in the gravel, you see tracks. He's here. Yeah. And, or it's just one fresh trail going through a saddle and it's like, that was last night. They're in this bowl this morning. Yeah. You know, hunting fresh sign. Yeah. And elk can go through, if a herd of elk goes through one spot, one time, they can make a trail, Mm -hmm. you know? And like Cody was kind of referring to earlier, I think a lot of people pigeonhole themselves. All right, they look on the map. Here's a closed road. I'm going to walk this out two miles this morning, and that's what I'm doing. You're covering one little tiny, and this correlates to what you were talking about, getting somewhere you can listen everywhere, maximizing 
your time in the woods Mm -hmm. you're in one little pocket maybe you're mid-mountain all you're gonna be able to hear is 200 yards above you and to the bottom you know maybe you pop up on that ridge whether it's 200 feet or 800 feet and now all of a sudden you can listen to the entire basin you were walking in and the basin on the other side and you can walk that ridge all the way out to where it benches out into another basin you know it's just maximizing your time in the woods and rather than just pigeonholing yourself on one hunt that you have in your head, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that the one thing that you get when you drive around is you realize also areas that you think are easy to access maybe aren't so easy. Like, maybe there is actually a gate there. Yeah. Maybe there's, you know, this road that connects to another road that doesn't even exist anymore, you know? Right. Last time that was open was, you know, 10 years ago. Or there was a tree 1972. across. 1972. Yeah, on seventy in 72. <laughs> <laughs> and then another thing I found is, like, straight up a tree across the road. That certainly affects things, right? It's like there's a tree across the road that blocks off a lot of access to a lot of places. Another thing that I do, deer and turkey, I'll literally drive down the road about five mile an hour looking for a triac. Just sticking my head out the window. I'll just stare. It's crazy, and you got to have a real, you can't get dizzy easily. If you're one of those folks, I don't recommend this. But if you just can stare at the side of the road, you might seriously find a fresh, I mean, an attack. We laugh, but dude, I found in Alabama one time, I think it was with Jake, we found where two bucks, because we were cruising down the road going slow, two bucks had fought in the road the night before like it was obvious that's what had happened there was all these like push marks and there was these big tracks facing each other it was like two bucks had fought in there it was like well that's where we're going tonight they're both big tracks and we hunted in there we didn't see a dang deer it was (laughs) (laughs) but but point is is like you know the whole the whole reason that we hunted there is we're like man these deer are right by the road we got to thinking about it and it was like okay in this situation we were in alabama a lot of pine thickets we started realizing that the hunters were using the trails that go through the thick pines they were pulling off at the obvious pull-offs they were probably parking and walking in right there where what we started doing is we'd park at those obvious pull-offs but then we'd walk and use the road as access and cut in and go into that thick stuff right off the road and didn't take getting off the road that far like less than a half mile at times but we'd be walking down the road like three quarters of a mile just straight up on the road and a lot of that was learned by cruising down the road looking for crossing trails and we realized it's like why yeah well why wouldn't they be right there well nobody's ever going to park right here and go in right here they're all walking in on those trails that are connected to a food plot back in there, you know? So it's like, take the trend, do something different than the trend. And I I really think that'll bump your odds of learning something, at least being successful, you know? Learning something is success, so. For sure. I thought it was crazy today. Like, driving in, we saw deer boxes and power lines and all sorts of stuff, like, from the <laughs> airport. And then we're in one little basin at Hollow or Holler if you're from West Virginia today. And we saw like, I think two different trail cameras and like four different tree stands all in one basin. I'm just like, man, that, that's crazy to me. And, and it's cool to see that. And then your guys' spin on it and what you've been able to do to be successful in the whitetail woods by just breaking that mold as far as just hunting on the ground. Mm-hmm. And like where we found those sheds. 
is a spot that by the rubs and all the other sign um it's somewhere it's a ridge that just parallels the road like 200 yards from the road mm-hmm. the main road and it's just those deer are living up there there's no obvious but trail from the road though. there's no parking spot there's yeah. no obvious trail from the road they're not coming down off of that ridge right. down to the road and it's like you don't always have to go way far and just look for those small different terrain features yeah. that sometimes are hidden in plain sight yeah yeah it's 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 a weird perspective and i i feel like it can be super frustrating if you're somebody that's just like i'm trying like i'm trying to think of it it's like don't 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 overthink it yeah. just be, be, be it's like it's this weird patience right it's yeah. like it's a weird patience to get to that point yeah. where you're like you know what yeah that probably does make sense right there and also reflecting if you're someone who spent a good amount of time in the woods and you're in that situation where you're frustrated and you're trying you you hear this and you're trying to think outside the box just reflect it's as easy as if you're on onyx or whatever else look at everywhere you've ever seen a deer while you're in the woods whether mm-hmm. that's walking into your stand mm-hmm. walking back on an access point then dial it back where did you see that deer what's the terrain features right there where that deer was living during this time of the year and then expand that horizon look for other spots that resemble that that maybe aren't as easy to get to whatever else and hunt those areas and it can just be as simple as just kind of reverse engineering it break it down i always say that let's break this down like what happened what could we have done differently you know i think that like the post hunt even a successful deal yep like what went right what went wrong learn from it mm-hmm. whether you need to take notes or you lock it in the memory bank like and be honest with yourself i I'll, I'll this i will be honest i have this tendency to like like be defensive right after especially when i'm really mad about one it's like that wasn't on me and then it's like shoot it was on me at least part <laughs> of it you know like yeah. like i talked about elk hunting we were going in and and We'd go in on these bulls. We knew right where they were, and we'd blast bugles in their face. And Ben came up to me and was like, hey, man. He's like, <laughs> you know, kind of like, we've been talking. <laughs> you know, <I> like, <laughs> Maybe we should approach it a little bit easier next time. And I'm like, ah, you know, no. And then I got to thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, probably even woke up like the next morning. It was just like, why not? It's not working. Why not try yeah. something different? Yeah. yeah. And I think that, well, and then as soon as we did, it did work. So it's just like, that's a great example. And like, uh, I'll use, I'll use this, this story for just for Turkey, just since it's on the brain, this Turkey that came in this video that I just worked on. So North Carolina heard a bird, made a move on him, called to him, got him all fired up. And then I just left it alone, but it was pretty thick, you know, hard to shoot thick uh, up on this ridge and this bird is coming in and he's coming right down the pipe it's like he's taking exactly the trail that we want him to be on he's on he's coming right down a deer trail that we're facing down right on the top of the ridge and at the last minute he gobbles and that's the gobble you guys have been hearing me play it's just that like like super sharp like really loud and he's he's headed right towards us so it's like well no need to call and i would say nine times out of ten Probably not, but in this situation, it was just thick enough that I don't think it would have hurt to give him a yo 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 
or something light just to keep him on that course because he started to cut to the right, which put us into a bad position and put Hayden, the turkey on Hayden's very weak side and then also put a bunch of brush between him and us. He came in and saw us. And, you know, after the fact, I was like, doing the breakdown thing and 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 i think you know i don't i don't feel like i'm throwing hayden under the bus for saying this either like afterwards it was like he was putting away and he turned his head towards us i was like you probably could have got a lot more aggressive and just got yourself up to where you could shoot him i was like you didn't really move which you know i understand that thought too it's like oh i'm pro like i don't want to move i don't want him to see but he putted and was i mean he had the back of his head straight to us and in that situation that turkey can't see you right it's like that's his one that is his weak spot is the back of his head anything else he's gonna see pretty well but he's putting he's moving back of the head and in my head i was thinking well that was hayden's bad but then afterwards i get to breaking it down more and i start to be more honest with myself and I'm like, I probably should have just called because it was so thick and just confirmed. Because at this point, he had walked 200 yards to us. I mean, so he, he wasn't skirting you. He's just yeah, searching. Yeah, he's just yeah. seeking. And he had been coming down that trail and he's spitting and drumming. Like, he's also calling to that. He's calling to that hen. He gobbles, you know, and then we're just dead silent while he's looking for her. So I have a question. There was a comment on our Flyway channel the other day on a bird. Um, a bird gobbled and I called and called at him mm -hmm. and the guy's like, you don't want to do that. And his, and I, and I, I could see the point. I was curious on your opinion. He said that that confirms that you're coming to him. He can. And Today that, it did. That, that, and that'll lock him up. So, oh man, <sighs> you get me down a rabbit hole, boy. <laughs> I, I, so Individual turkeys is something that, like, I continue to just be completely intrigued by. Like, everyone's different. And the cadence of the way they're gobbling, um, you know, you hear the classic, like, you take their temperature. And, like, yes, that's true. But you're basically trying to, like, read what type of turkey that is and what you need to give him. What does he want? In the situation where a turkey, you like, he's pretty stationary, he's gobbling a lot. In my opinion, in that situation, he's probably just trying to call the hen to him. So yes, if you respond to his gobble, I think for that individual bird, it might more. lock him down. He might gobble more and more and more. And, and, and what we tend to do when birds gobble more is we tend to call more. But after just, like, you know, a lot of days hunting turkeys, there's a certain level where I said, like I said today, they gobble too much. Where it's like, something's going on with this dude. Like, whatever it is, that's his strategy to get a hen. Is, I'm going to just call so much. Because that's what he's doing. Like, the, the gobble is so much louder than a hen call. It's like he's calling to hens. And if he's standing in one spot just going berserk and you keep calling to him and he keeps going more and more berserk without ever moving, it's like you're probably better off, especially if a certain amount of time has gone by, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes has gone by and he hasn't moved and you just keep calling at him. It might be time to be like, okay, let's regroup. Let's hit a different angle and kind of approach this a little bit different. Maybe you approach it with start with scratching or only scratch. But... 
on the flip side, it's like if a turkey's hot and he's going on his own, but uh, so so and that's not true because the turkey that gobbles too much also is doing it on his own. There's two different ways a turkey gobbles on his own. He gobbles at something, or he gobbles on his own to nothing. That turkey's freaky. He's bad news. You don't like that dude. Turkey that gobbles at something, he's just hot. He's just like. I'm just enjoying life, baby. Crow flies over. Bah! Woodpecker. Bah! He gobbles at it. But then the turkey that's just like gobbling at nothing, the crow flies over and he doesn't gobble, but then he just makes the decision to gobble on his own. He, in my opinion, is calling to the hen. I know that's super deep and weird maybe, but like, yeah. again, it's just like too many days. But then maybe there's a it. third scenario where there's a turkey who's hot gobbling on his own searching for a hen traveling yeah and they'll oftentimes be on the ridge top yeah and you'll hear them maybe they're gobbling on their own and gobbling to everything mm-hmm. and they're moving along and they're searching that's mm-hmm. a scenario where he's gobbling for a hen but he's probably also killable because mm-hmm. that's what he's doing he's searching there's a there's a turkey that gobbles too much that i've hunted too multiple times different areas different subspecies even where they gobble a bunch, and they constantly are moving. And then every once in a while, they'll just hit a spot where they are good and they feel comfortable. And that's where you start to, like, cut that distance. But he's he just still just nonstop, pow, pow, pow. And you get to him, and you get right where you're at whatever, like, the perfect setup. You're 100 yards from him. He's just over the rise. And you hit a call, and that's it. Vanished. And it's like he's been gobbling for, like, two hours and all of a sudden he vanishes it's like there's something has happened to that turkey that he like whether it be he got beat up by another turkey and he just simply does not want to hear from other turkeys he's he's gobbling so much that he just wants that hen to appear he doesn't want to hear about it he just wants her to appear or he's been shot at by a caller a hunter or whatever he associates that sound with danger in one way or another whether that's hunter predation or getting beat up but that's a long way of explaining that theory it's good and i like you know another another thing to maybe I, i would imagine people have heard this thought before but turkey that has hens this is a very general rule but it's very very true in my opinion it's like turkey that has hens generally kind of goes down you know he's the bird that's on the bench he's the bird that's in the creek bottom he's the bird that doesn't you know gobbles on the limb and then shuts up the turkey that is alone and is your favorite one to go at is the sun that comes up he goes up to a spot where he can cast his gobble down to where hens frequent and he gobbles at stuff he's like you know crow flies over pow and he's not doing it like every three seconds or every 10 seconds he's doing it every like couple minutes he's gobbling just enough to keep you kind of moving in on him you get to that position where you become that hen and you know you give him a little something always start light on a call too because it's like if that turkey's gobbling and you get real, real aggressive right out of the gate, and that's not what he wants, or you know, he, then he, or it is, or maybe it is what he wants, right? And it's what that guy said. That's what's going to bring him uh, or hang him up. It's like, oh, she's coming to me, right? So, like sometimes, um, one one of my favorite things to do is answer another turkey. 
So, like, if I'm hunting this bird, but this bird is, like, 400 yards away, and, you know, the one that I'm after, he's gobbling at 150 yards, and pow, he gobbles. You know, 30 seconds a minute goes by, 400 yards, pow, yomp, 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 and hit him back. Your close bird generally gets pretty irritated at that. And it, it's you kind of got to get yeah. in their head a little bit. And I mean, you're talking to a complete weirdo right now. Keep that in mind. Like, this is a lot of days thinking about this stuff. But I really, really do enjoy that individual So, at the aspect. end of the day, it's 11. Well, yeah, it's 1130. Really? Holy shoot. Um, to wrap this up, <laughs> if you're a good turkey hunter... And you have the desire to go hunt elk, do or it. you enjoy? I, I'll rephrase that. If you enjoy turkey hunting, go chase some elk. Yeah, you, you will not regret that decision. Yeah, and honestly, if you like, if you like one form of hunting, find a way to challenge yourself in any animal you chase. Make it something that you're getting the most out of, and you're gonna enjoy it. And in, in respect to that, that it's not just about success. Because I think the fear of failure can override, like, getting the most out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So I'll use a quick example. You're a deer hunter, and you love deer hunting, but turkey hunting's always just, eh, it's on the back burner. But you kind of always do the same thing. You always go tag out. You always hunt the same, you know, couple properties. You know, you always use the same strategies. Maybe you're hunting, you know, the same thing. Like you're using blinds and decoys or whatever. It's like, what can you do different to challenge yourself to get the most out of that? To tra- Because think about how much we've compared all these different... Whitetail, uh, turkey, elk... We're comparing these because we learn things by hunting all of those different species and then we take it to the next thing. You're not going to be as good of a deer hunter as you possibly can be if you don't respect the turkey game. You're not going to be as good of a uh, uh, elk hunter, I don't think, as if you don't take respect the turkey. You know, all those things, you're learning by being in the woods. And if you appreciate that, you're going to become a better hunter. Love it. Yeah. All right, let's go to sleep and go hunt in the morning. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>